Good morning and welcome to Health Watch. I'm Dr. David Naiman, your host. Today's guest, Dr. Joel Furman, is a board-certified family physician who specializes in preventing and reversing disease through nutritional and natural methods. He's on the board of directors of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, the research director of the Nutritional Research Project of the National Health Association, and the creator of the Health Starts Here initiative for Whole Foods. He's the author of many best-selling books, including Eat to Live and The End of Diabetes, and he's here today to talk about his latest book, Fast Food Genocide, How Processed Food is Killing Us, and What We Can Do About It. Welcome back to Health Watch, Dr. Joel Furman. Thank you. Great to be here. So if I were to guess, Dr. Furman, many people tuned in right now are probably saying to themselves, I never eat McDonald's or I never eat Taco Bell, or if I do, I don't do it on a regular basis. So what does this book have to do with me? But you suggest that most of these people are still getting their primary source of calories from what you call fast foods. So tell us what your definition of fast foods are and how it's a broader definition than simply going to a fast food restaurant. Right, that's correct. I mean, I consider a fast food any type of processed food that has um, no significant load of micronutrients. It's mostly just calories. And we can access the food fast. We can open a bag, a box, you know, and we can eat chips and cold cereals and bagels and white bread and, you know, and um, salad oils and mayonnaise and donuts and cookies and crackers and <coughs> all these foods that are highly processed. And there's some features they have in common. Most of them have a lot of synthetic ingredients, and the nutrients have been lost in the, pre in the preparation, packaging the food. They're, they're dense in calories, but don't cont cont contain the phytochemicals, the antioxidants, the fibers, the nutrients that humans need to live a long life and prevent cancer and prevent disease. And they flood the body with calories, and the calories are absorbed very rapidly. And whenever calories come into the bloodstream so rapidly, like 25 to 50 calories a minute coming in when you're eating, you know, bread and sugar and honey and, you know, and French fries. Whereas eating beans and nuts, you're getting one or two calories a minute coming in slowly over hours. And the, when calories flood the bloodstream very rapidly, they stimulate dopamine release in the brain. Your brain becomes dopamine insensitive. It gives you a, you know, it, it's like the same type of dopamine stimulation had you snorted cocaine or taking opiates. It's the same opiate receptors are stimulated. And it doesn't just make a person feel good. Just like opiates and cigarettes and other types of drugs, the people feel bad when they try to stop eating these foods. They start to feel shaky and weak and sickly and headachy and fatigued. And they really have an effect to make us addicted to them. And they induce overeating behavior and obesity. Well, speaking of that, you, you cite the, an article in the British Journal of Psychiatry that makes a link between candy and junk food and, and a propensity to later having issues with addiction to drugs. Correct. I think they followed, when following children's exposure to candy and junk food and fast food, they found the link between that candy and junk food consumption was better correlated with later-life drug use and even crime than was bad parenting, poverty, social deprivation, lack of parents. I mean, it's one of the most important contributors to brain dysfunction, loss of intelligence, lack of concentration, creativity, and, of course, we're talking about the inability to succeed in school and the link between food and mental illness, like depression. 
and, and nobody's talking about that. That's the name, you know, the name fast food genocide is because people have no idea of the damage that's being caused to our society from the consumption of these frankenfoods, number one. They don't see the relation between mental illness and food. Nobody's talking about mental illness, depression, psychosis being caused by junk food, number two. And number three, nobody's talking about the fact that these foods and these poor diets damage our genetic structure. They damage our genes, which can be passed on to future generations, increasing risk of autism, childhood cancer, the diseases that we're seeing in an exponential brain tumors that we're seeing explode in populations that are going to get worse in future generations because we're, we're passing on defective genes to our children. From, so when we eat an unhealthy diet ourselves, of course we get cancer from eating an unhealthy diet. Of course we get demented and we get heart attacks and strokes from eating an unhealthy diet. We get obese, we get diabetic. But people aren't talking about how we're damaging our children from the way we eat, especially if we eat these foods before we you know, conceive our first child. So I, I wanted to maybe unpack this connection between uh, this broader version of, of fast foods, the, of these processed and denatured foods, and mood and cognition. So I know a lot of scientists are uncovering a link between elevated cardiovascular and diabetes risk correlating with elevated risk for dementia, uh, that there's a connection between heart health and, and brain health. Is that where you're seeing foods like commercial baked goods or cold breakfast cereal, cereals or deli meats or, or pretzels and chips? Is that the connection that is causing an effect with mood and cognition, one that is uh, related to that axis between the heart and the brain, or is it something else? No, it's, it's definitely part. It's definitely that as well. I mean, what we're saying is that uh, people understand that when you, or some people understand that when you eat food that has no um, nutrients in it, when you eat highly processed carbohydrates, like you're mentioning, which flood the body with calories very rapidly, which means they're high glycemic. They have a high glycemic load. Glucose floods into the bloodstream, and a large amount of a spike of insulin is produced. And they were starting to understand how that spike of glucose and insulin damages brain cells. What I'm saying right now, of course, that we're saying, oh, yeah, they, these foods are now accepted to be damaging to the heart, and, and also it's because of the high level of insulin and other growth hormones, they promote cancer. So people are now recognizing that the processed carbohydrates like white rice and white bread and bagels and croissants and sugar and honey and maple syrup, that these highly sweetened, highly calorically concentrated foods increase the risk of heart disease as much as foods that are rich in saturated fat do. You know, we used to think only the, the animal products with high saturated fat were bad. And then people saying, oh, saturated fat is good, it's okay, butter is bad, bacon is okay, it's the carbohydrates that are causing the problem. But the, re the real truth is is that both these foods cause problems, both the high-saturated animal products, too much of that causes the problems, and the processed foods that are high-glycemic, sugary foods, and, and white flour products, they, they both, they all cause problems. It's not a question of which is worse, they're both bad. So just like both damage the heart, it's the whole diet style that damages the brain. And, you know, in our muscle cells and in our body's tissues, there's an, the body produces anti, its own antioxidant defense. It has an ARE, the antioxidant response element, as part of our cells that helps um, repair damage. And especially when we expose ourselves to phytochemicals from vegetables, the ARE is activated and we can, re we can repair and prevent damage in the cell. The brain, the brain doesn't have the amount of antioxidant response that the rest of the body does. It pretty much needs a continual supply of proanthocyanins and bioflavonoids, and it, it needs those natural antioxidants from colorful plants if you're going to get to an older age and not get lose brain cells and not get demented. So the brain will age faster than other body cells if you do not supply 
the constant, you know, exposure to these colorful plants. And so what I'm saying right now is that nutritional science has made tremendous advances in the last couple of decades, and we can give people information that can really protect our population from heart attacks, strokes, dementia, cancers, mental illness, and we're not taking advantage of this data. We're not taking advantage of this science, and people are still just poisoning themselves on this addictive binge with, the, with these self-destructive foods. In case you just tuned in, we're talking today to Dr. Joel Furman about his latest book, Fast Food Genocide, How Processed Food is Killing Us and What We Can Do About It. Can you, can you speak briefly about the University of Minnesota School of Public Health study that looked at 50,000 people eating a fast food diet in relationship to coronary artery disease? Well, you know, I don't remember the particulars of that study right now, but I do know that areas of the country that are called food deserts, where people even eat more fast food and less produce. In other words, they have less supermarket access and people's diets, even though the American population as a whole is eating 60% of calories from processed foods and one-third from animal products and no less than 10% from produce. That's bad enough. I always say that diet's been designed by ISIS to kill us. It's the perfect diet to, you know, to cause these chronic illnesses and obesity and diabetes we have. But then again... We see that in these areas of the country where, they, where the diet is even worse and there's more fast food access and more convenience stores and less produce, we see double the risk of heart attacks and double the risk of strokes and double the risk of breast cancer and prostate cancer and almost 10 times the risk of, of um, early life stroke before age 45 and higher risk of childhood diabetes. And one particular figure that came out of some of these studies that really was shocking to me is that... An overweight diabetic individual living in a so-called food desert, <coughs> a food desert zip code, they, they um, calculate there's 45 years of life years lost in those individuals. Can you imagine the how much 45 years of life? That means instead of dying at the age of 90 or 100, they're dying at the age of 40 to 50. It's just unbelievably um, sad and tragic that food is so destructive to so many millions of people in this country, and, and it doesn't have to be this way. And I feel, and my, you know, and I feel very passionate about this subject and about this book, and I feel everybody has to read it because I think that you know, we all deserve the opportunity to, the, to realize the American gene and to succeed and be happy and be healthy and, and have economic security, and, and we're destroying whole populations of individuals with food inequality and with lack of um, knowledge about the self-destructive and addictive nature of food. And with the right information, I think we all work, could work together as Americans to improve things tremendously and really turn things around and really save a tremendous amount of, of human years and human well-being. You know what I mean? So tell us a little bit about why the eugenics movement in the United States and the health and longevity of the African-American community post-slavery are topics in, in fast food genocide. Because, you know, we went through medical school and we were taught that black Americans have double the risk of diabetes and heart disease and prostate cancer and dementia and strokes and all these things. And, and I'm saying there's a form of bigotry in that. Because if we trace back the ancestry, we trace back the health of black Americans to the Civil War when they were, when they were freed slaves, they were more centenarians. They pursued education and did very well advancing their, their um, educations, and they were, in other words, more centenarians. I mean, they were living longer, they were healthier than the, than the Caucasian Southerners' counterparts because they were access to vegetables. And I'm saying that when we look at Caucasian populations who don't have access to good food as well, they develop the same problems. So there's a form of 
it's an unfair look or a blame to, to make people think that the black Americans maybe don't have as much intelligence or disease resistance or longevity potential, and all these things are incorrect. I'm saying that genetics play much less than we, when we thought. The, the white supremacy movement, the eugenic movement, the, hit, the growth of Hitler, the fact that the, the, um, the Jim Crow laws after the, driving the, the um, former slaves into um, the northern cities and the advent of World War II um, and the fast food industry explosion all did a tremendous number on this, on a vulnerable population, taking away their potential to achieve the American dream. It's very important to look back in history and see this developed so we can solve these problems in our future. People don't even understand how, what a big problem Pellagra was in this country, where niacin deficiency from eating corn and molasses and pork in the, southern, in the south between the 1850s and the 1920s caused such violence. From contributed to the violence because Pellagra, which can cause a red neck and then rash, also causes delusional and violent and aggressive behavior and can promote and, and, and um, provoke anger and aggression and homicidal and suicidal behavior. The point I'm making is that the medical profession denied that Pellagra was a nutritional deficiency for, for 70 years, and now we, they finally recognized it was a niacin deficiency, and now, now we're, we're doing the same thing all over again. You know, because they blame the, the violence in the South on genetics and essentially on, you know, on, on poor strains of genes and some white and, and poor whites and other poor strains. And it was just the whole medical and scientific community was all confused. And they're still confused today. We're still overly focusing on genetics and not on nutritional and environmental factors that shape and mold us into healthy and happy and productive individuals. Okay, so if if we're just if we're gonna pivot now to talking a little bit about what a good diet would look like, if on the one hand, overly processed carbohydrates like soft drinks, energy bars, crackers, pretzels, chips, buns, and breakfast cereals are not good, and on the other hand, the processed meats, in particular, which you mentioned, the World Health Organization has classified as a class one carcinogen, meaning there's sufficient evidence to link uh, cancer risk to eating processed meats. What should we be eating? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, well that's easy. No, we, should, <laughs> we should be eating fruits and vegetables and beans and nuts and seeds and intact whole grains. And, you know, it's, you know what's really funny? It's that I live here in New Jersey, which is, you know, and I can go in the backyard behind my house where there's some woods back there. You know, it's like a park. And there's all these foods I can get out of the woods. If you really know what to look for, there's so much natural food around, like little pine nuts and little types of, um, you know, parsley and different types of weeds that are edibles and onions that are edibles and mushrooms that are edibles. But the point I'm making is that this is the whole point. If you were shipwrecked on a desert island and if you were or a jungle or you were eating natural foods with the gorillas or with the other animals, you'd be eating foods that you could – it would take you a lot of work to find a little bit of food. But you'd find some vegetables and some fruits and nuts and things you can eat, and it would be possible – it would be impossible to become overweight. Because natural foods are rich in nutrients, but also rich in fiber. They're relatively low in calories for the amount of work it takes to get them to, to get so you can eat them. They're relatively low in calories. You can't become overweight eating natural foods. You need only all you want. This whole human stomach is only one liter. You can't even put more than 400 or 500 calories in there when you're eating vegetables, you know, and mushrooms and berries and beans. And, you know, the point I'm making is that eat lots of healthy foods. And 
this is what I've done over my last 30 years of my medical career, is I've devised delicious tasting recipes that people love that are calorically favorable and nutritionally favorable, like even ice cream. Like I make black bean brownies with a little bit of date just to sweeten it, a little cocoa powder, and maybe some vanilla ice cream on top made with a frozen banana whipped in some macadamia nuts and some cocoa powder. I don't even put a vanilla bean, a real vanilla bean extract in there to make a vanilla ice cream. I don't even put any dates in that because it's sweet enough with just the banana. But the point I'm making right now is that when you stop sugaring and salting and putting you know, sweeteners on everything, and your taste for sweet becomes stronger. I mean, you don't salt up all your food. You can enjoy the natural flavors in foods better. And, you, and I'm training people to actually get their taste buds stronger and to enjoy food more, not less. Because I know what your audience is thinking. They're thinking, oh, oh yeah, you know, we're supposed to stop eating all this stuff that's not good for us. But the other, what are we supposed to do? Live on carrot sticks and celery and not have no fun in life and have no enjoyment of eating? I'd rather be dead. I'd rather die 15 years younger or 20 years younger and enjoy my life more eating what I feel like eating. But see, that's a real myth. That's their addictive part of the brain talking. Because what I'm saying, when I've shown this in a medical study that I published, that I, I did a study on more than 750 people, that, that when people improve their diet to prevent cancer and to live longer, their taste buds improve. They can enjoy the flavor of natural foods more. And when they learn the recipes and how to prepare the food, they like eating this way just as much or more than their old diet. So we're not talking about giving up pleasure in life. We're talking about using this knowledge to really make life more enjoyable and more pleasurable and, of course, being really able to enjoy our golden years when we finally can and we have our full mental faculties intact. Well, uh, Dr. Furman, let's assume people um, trust you that that they're going to enjoy the, the new diet as much as the old diet once they've transitioned over. I'm, I'm guessing that people probably still have some questions about cost difference or and also are there ways to do things that are convenient and and potentially um quick so that people who have a a a lifestyle where they don't have a lot of time where they're pressured around um, meals that they might be able to to do some of what you're suggesting but also in a way that uh isn't particularly complicated that's a good question and you know Yes, I mean, I do. That's what I recommend people make a big pot of vegetable bean soup or a chili or a stew on the weekend. I make a pot, a delicious pot of some vegetable bean or lentil or piece soup on the weekend, and I actually put the whole pot in the top shelf of my refrigerator on, my, on Sunday nights. And then, then when the pot is cold on Monday mornings, I, I put it out into like 10 containers. So I seal them all, and I can just grab it on my out the door on the way to work with me. And then I'll, I'll do the same thing with a salad dressing. I'll usually make a big salad up, but I'll make a dressing maybe on the weekend and maybe on Wednesday night. I'll use that same dressing I made on the weekend. I'll use it for three or four nights. And I'm saying salad dressing because the salad dressing is an important part of your diet because you don't want to eat those oil, salty commercial dressings. You want to make a healthy dressing, maybe one with tomato sauce and almond butter and, you know, and, and sunflower seeds with some um, balsamic or fig vinegar in there or some roasted garlic and you blind it up or, or an orange sesame dressing with orange cashews, sesame, lemon, and blood orange vinegar. And we make all these incredibly healthy dressings, but it's so easy to throw a salad together. You can now make these pre-washed lettuce boxes. You can open it up, cut a tomato in there, cut a little red onion on top or a little crouton or some, you know, some pea, um, frozen peas. You have, the, you have the dressing you already made. You throw it on top. You shake it up. You eat a nice bowl of soup and a piece of fruit, and you have a great lunch. And, and lunch is the most important meal of the day. Can you imagine if every one in America ate a healthy lunch with just a vegetable bean soup and a big salad and a piece of fruit? Because 
lunch is the most important meal of the day, number one, because you're out of the house and you're tempted to eat junk food all around you. And number two, because you should eat, you should be eating a lighter dinner anyway, because you shouldn't be going to bed on a heavy stomach and a big, you know, big meal in your belly. But at bedtime, it's better to eat a heftier, more calorically dense lunch. Um, and number three, you want to have something that's going to sustain you through the day and not feel hungry all afternoon. So you're not tempted to have a donut or a cookie or a cracker or a candy or, or a soda or looking for things around you. You want to give people a very sustaining, healthy lunch so they have the full clarity to perform all day. But I'm, I'm saying if we just can get everybody eating a healthy lunch in America, eating salads and soups and beans and nuts, it's incredible how we could transform American health care. So at the top of the hour, Dr. Furman, you talked about how carbohydrate addiction or processed carbohydrate addiction goes to the same place in the brain as other types of addiction. Are there added things that you would consider doing when someone's transitioning over to combat the carbohydrate addiction, either food strategies or uh, supplements or other uh, ways of intervening? Yes, because that's right, because the addictive withdrawal is lessened and goes can go away faster if you're flooding your body with nutrients and the antioxidants and phytochemicals. So I have an acronym to have people remember the foods they want them to try to consume each day, which helps the brain and helps the body detoxify. And, these, and the acronym GBOMBS is just, the, it's just because it stands G-B-O-M-B-S. It stands for greens and beans and onions and mushrooms and berries and seeds like flax seeds and chia seeds very powerful anti-cancer effects. And the reason I'm having people recognize and, you know, and respect and try to consume these foods is because the scientific studies show, uh, link these foods to dramatic reduction in rates of cancer and later life cancer. So people eat raw green vegetables, people eat raw onion, people eat cooked mushrooms, you know, cooked greens or berries or, you know, or, um, or bean dishes. There's a link between the consumption of these foods and protection. And the same thing, you know, the same diet style that's designed to maximize longevity and prevent cancer works the best therapeutically when you have a person with a problem. And it helps people, you know, get, get fight infection and not, you know, not get a flu or it helps, you know, resist viral infection or it helps people, you know, allergies get better, their asthma improves or it helps people reverse diabetes and heart disease. In other words, I'm saying to you that the same foods and the same diet style that is maximally longevity promoting is also therapeutic to help people lower their blood pressure, get rid of their lower their cholesterol, get rid of their diabetes. So it's not like it's the same process that occurs. We're talking about a diet higher in nutrients and moderately lower in calories. What I'm saying right now is that as more that you eat more of the high nutrient, high fiber foods, the easier it is to get rid of your addictions and control that drive to over calories. And and what are your thoughts on frozen food? If if people buy say like organic pre chopped broccoli or or f- that's frozen or frozen berries, do you feel like there's a, a, a too much of a nutrient loss in in using frozen, or is that actually a, a one sort of convenient shortcut that some people could use some of the time? Yes, yeah, so I think frozen foods are good, are great. In other words. Um, they're often better than the fresh version because when you eat frozen broccoli, they just, they just cook it for like a minute, 60 seconds, and it really still maintains a lot of the, um, the anti-cancer nutrients in there. Sometimes when people buy fresh, they take it home. It's been, cooked, it's been picked two weeks ago, and they overcook it till it's like mush. And so the, the frozen is greener and more vibrant, and if you don't overcook it. And the same thing with berries. They're, you know, if you eat frozen berries... They're not going to have all the fungicides compared to a fresh strawberry or fresh raspberry to make it have a higher shelf life in the store. So it's cleaner when you buy it frozen. 
and they and the, they buy it more. They can pick it more when it's ripe and just lock the nutrients in. So the, the amount of nutrient loss with freezing is minimal, and the retention of nutrients is high. And if people would eat more frozen and less canned and eat more frozen food, frozen fruits and vegetables, it would be very, very a very good thing. So can you point us to a website if people are curious to learn more about your book and and your other books as well? Thank you. Uh, DrFerman.com, which is D-R-F-U-H-R-M-A-N. And I'm hoping we can get, like, you know, everybody, educators and politicians and, and celebrities and just people all over the place talking about this and eating better and setting a good example for everybody else and seeing what we can do to help other people, to encourage them to eat healthier, because I just feel it's such a... It's, it's, there's so much upside to what we can accomplish, and, and we can't do this with better medical care. We can't wipe out cancer with a magic pill. But here we can really reduce cancer rates, reduce heart attack rates, reduce dementia rates, stop mental illnesses. So much we could do if we clean up the American diet. Well, thanks for being back on Health Watch today, Dr. Furman. All right. Thank you. All right. We were talking today to... Dr. Joel Furman, the author of Fast Food Genocide, How Processed Food is Killing Us and What We Can Do About It. You've been listening to Health Watch. I'm Dr. David Naiman, your host. And next up is Madness Radio, a look at the legacy of Artie Lang's insights on family and culture.